Today I'm going to talk to you about water baptism. And because we have this, the, the baptismal service coming up on the 17th at Pinehurst Park, that's going to be exciting. It's so cool to watch people do that and be involved in that. But I think it's the same thing with that. It can really become old hat. You go like, oh, yeah, been there, done that. I understand that, so let's move on. But today I'm hoping to dust off the dust and bring back some of the shininess of this, this thing that Christ uh, commands us to do and help us get a fresh look at what that really means for us. So we're going to talk about that. Um, so when I talk about water baptism, there's really three main questions that come up that people have. And sometimes these are areas of disagreement as well among the church. You know, this denomination does it this way, this denomination does it this way. So what we want to do is answer these questions and look scripturally, what does the Bible say about these things? Because honestly, when it comes to these subjects, my opinion doesn't matter. Sorry, but your opinion doesn't matter. The stance of Good Hope Church, the stance of the Assemblies of God on water baptism really doesn't matter if it doesn't line up with the Scriptures, right? That's the standard here. That's the standard we have to go by as the Word of God. So, I'm sorry, but we're going to read a lot of Scriptures today. Uh, we're going to look at that because we've got to get a scriptural perspective of that. And hopefully as you come to Good Hope Church, you're studying God's Word, you're taking notes, and you're checking things out. I mean, we're human beings. Make sure we're on track because that's the standard is God's Word. We don't ever want to stray from that either. Uh, so we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. These three questions that come up a lot of time are why. Why should we be baptized? Why even bother? You know, what's it about? Uh, and then when should we be baptized? At what age? What's... As an infant, as a toddler, is 15 years old the magic age of accountability when someone, as an adult, what is it? What does the Bible have to say about this? And then the third is how. How do we go about this? What's the proper method for baptism? What's the scripture say about that? You know, when you sprinkle, do you dunk, uh, do you spin in circles three times and say these magic words? Or, you know, what is it? So we're going to look at that, the, the, the way of how to baptize. What does the scripture say about that? Uh, so we're going to look into these things. So maybe these are questions you've had, or maybe it's old hat to you. Please don't be bored by it and just brush this off. Oh, man, i got to listen to another sermon about baptism. Uh, I want this to be fresh and new. Last week, one morning, I'm sitting at my dining room table, and um, I'm just sitting there eating my breakfast and reading my Bible and praying, and I'm sitting there looking out the patio door. And I was studying a subject that's kind of a gray area. You know, there's a lot of things that aren't really clear to us. There's gray areas. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are pretty hard and fast. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt... I mean, that's pretty clear, black and white. But there are lots and lots of things that are hard to understand or they're gray areas. And so I'm sitting there and I just said, God, why is there so much gray? Why isn't it clear and easier to understand? And this was really amazing. It's never happened. It's like I'm looking at the trees. I'm looking at the leaves. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, look at that leaf. What? That leaf. Every leaf on a popple tree is the same. Every one on a maple tree is the same. Every one on the other, they're all the same. And then just think of that one leaf. How many millions of cells are in that one leaf? And then think about the process of photosynthesis and how that works and it feeds the tree what it needs and goes through the branches and into the trunk and it gets water from the And that's just a tree. Then think of the millions of other things in this universe that are perfectly designed and so incredible. Think of the fabric. Every fabric in this shirt, the fiber of it, the chemical makeup of it, God had new in advance and put things in place so that we could make things and create things and build things. 
And that's not even beginning to get into the universe. There's millions of scientists constantly studying, studying for the last thousands of years to try and figure all this stuff out that God imagined and went boom, created. Why do you think there's gray? He's so crazy huge and magnificent and I'm this small and we're supposed to understand him? Wow, there's so much. So he gives us what we can handle. The rest, we've got to try and fight. That's why we've got to have church. That's why we've got to study his word, and that's why we've got to figure him out. So there's a lot of gray. But at the same time, that's another way that we take things for granted, isn't it? Every day I walk on grass and don't even think about it, and the sun is in exactly the right place so that we don't burn up and so that we're not freezing cold and everything. And I don't even think about it, right? And we take these things for granted. So let's not do that. Let's dig in and let's understand what all God has for us and and look at these areas that are hard to understand, and God will give us what we need, right? So we'll try and do that today. Wipe the dust off. So with that, I'd like to pray one more time before we dig into this material. Praise you, God. I'm so thankful for your word that you give us, that we can dig into to guide us. You don't just leave us bumping around here in the dark. You give us what we need. And Lord, help us to understand your word today and to see what you have for us and understand what you've done for us, Lord, and the significance of this thing that you've told us to do, this water baptism, Lord. Just open our eyes to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so to really understand water baptism, I think we need to go back to the very basics of Christianity because that's what it represents. So we really need to understand the basics of Christianity. What is that? What does it mean to be a Christian, to be saved, as we say? Uh, What does that mean? Well, first of all, Romans tells us that all have sinned, all, that includes me, and come short of the glory of God. We need to understand, first of all, that God is so great, so pure, so holy, so magnificent that we cannot even come close to being good enough to get into heaven. Or to even be in his presence without dying. He's just so magnificent. We can't even come close on our own. We're not even, we got to understand that we need God. He's our only hope, right? It's the first realization we have to come to to become a Christian. So then what do we do with that? Let's take a look at Romans 10. We'll get started with all this scripture. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's the beginning of it. We believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I have no hope without you. You are my only hope. Beginnings, the basis of Christianity. So that's cool. He's our only hope. So then let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 22 and then we'll skip down to verse 28. This goes back to the Old Testament. When man was created, it was understood that God is incredible. Man is uh, not as incredible as God. And we're going to do things that are opposing to God's will, right? We're human beings. So when that happens, something has to be done to reconcile us to God. And in the Old Testament, it was the shedding of blood. There had to be shedding of blood somehow to reconcile us to God. 
And here in Hebrews, he talks about, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So then you go down to verse 28, and it says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So he was sacrificed once and for all, the final sacrifice. He is our hope and our glory. He makes us holy, pure, righteous in his eyes. And that's what reconciles us to God. So we need God. We're nothing without him. We need him to make us clean and holy and pure and righteous. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? That's something that should never lose its luster. We should never get bored with that. We've got to realize what an incredible gift that is and what it means for us. So let's dig a little more into that. So is that it then? You believe in God and confess with your mouth that he's Lord and you're saved and then just go on living life as usual? Doesn't make any difference? That's not it, is it? So then as we follow the pattern of the Bible, what's the next step? What's the next thing here? Let's read Mark 1. We're going to read 14 through 15 and see what that says. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is another pattern we see a lot. You believe in God? Repent, he says, all the time. What's that mean? What does that really mean, to repent? To repent means to turn another direction. Stop, turn around, do a 180, go in another direction. In fact... I found it really interesting. I went on Webster's Online Dictionary, and here's one of the definitions they give of the word repent. To turn from sin and to dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. To turn from sin, it says right in Webster's Dictionary, and to dedicate one's life to the, one to the amendment of their life. Boy, that's a good definition. So if you repent, you've got to stop going the direction you're going. Turn around and dedicate your life to amending your life. That's an effort we have to make, a decision we have to make, right? That's part of it. Believe in God. Wow, I'm hopeless without him. He's my only hope. So I want to do things that please him and bring honor to him, not things that oppose him, right? So then that's when we have to repent. Another part of the definition is to feel regret or contrition and to change one's mind. The Holy Spirit does that a lot, doesn't he? When we allow him in, man, all of a sudden you start... Thinking differently, seeing things differently, seeing people differently. Boy, that's pretty neat. That's what happens when we give our life to God. So I want to ask you to just reflect today and think about this. How did this process look for you? When you came to believe in God, when your mind started changing, when you repented, what things did you have to change? And you know, God is a gracious God. He starts with small things usually and helps us to grow. It makes it easier. You know, maybe it was just something like your attitude towards somebody else. Suddenly, you went, you know what? I don't treat that person very well, and that's not bringing glory to God because God loves that person. God, help me to see that person from your eyes, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to start treating them differently. You had to repent of something like that, maybe. Maybe it was just something uh, you're doing at work on the clock that really wasn't related to work that you probably shouldn't be doing on the boss's time. Suddenly, instead of going, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter, your mind starts to change. You start seeing, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go the other way and start doing things different. 
Or maybe it was something bigger, more major. I don't know, but how did that look for you? Think about a time when that happened to you and understand what a big deal that is that the old person is gone and you're now a new person. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. I have uh, my cousin Kevin, who was a pastor for years, and now actually him and his wife run the Lake Geneva Christian Center down in Alexandria uh, for the Assemblies of God. Um, he grew up in a good Christian home, but he turned and ran from God for quite a few years. He lived a life that was very unchristian like got involved in a lot of things. And um, boy, when he turned his life back over to God and turned around, he said, boy, there was a lot of things I had to repent of and change. And two things specifically that he talked about that really helped me understand a lot more of the the process of repentance and how God allows us to go through things and, and to deal with things was smoking cigarettes, and man, he had a foul mouth. Every other word, it was bad, he was swearing. And he had to change these things because he was studying to be a pastor, and he's like, yeah, that's not really a good example, being a pastor, uh, having bad language and smoking. And this is another one of them things. I was talking about there are gray areas. I want you to understand, is smoking going to send you to hell? Ow! Oh, come on. Is it good for you? No. So, and is your body the temple of God? Yeah. So should you do it? Probably not. But let's not get hung up on specific things like that. You know, I know some people that, I don't know, maybe very traditional or whatever, get hung up on, well, he comes to church and then goes out back and have a cigarette and he calls himself a Christian. Oh. Well, what about the too much chocolate that you ate last week, you know? Or, yeah, right? Now, what about your lack of an exercise program? There's a million things that... Let's not get hung up on dumb, specific things like this, right? And judge each other. But this is something God was dealing with him with and said, you need to stop this and repent. You need to clean up your language. And the other thing is, he was studying to be an Assembly of God pastor, uh, like myself, and we take a vow of absolutely no alcohol, no tobacco. And so he knew, I got to quit. So he said, God, I need to change this. I need to repent Help me. Can you please just take these from me? Because it's not going to be easy. When you've been speaking the same way for a long time, it's not easy to just suddenly change your vocabulary. And cigarettes, that's a hard thing to kick sometimes. And you've been, it's been a lot of years that he was a smoker. And so he prayed that, and he said, instantly, God changed his language. He said, I couldn't believe it. It was just weird. It was just like never did a cuss word ever come out of my mouth again. It was just boom. It's just crazy. Smoking, however... Smoking was a challenge for him. He worked and worked at it for a long time, took several attempts and a lot of hard work and misery, but he finally kicked that thing and he kicked the habit. So why did God let him struggle with that, but he took the other just like that? Isn't that interesting? But I've experienced that. I'm sure a lot of you have too. It's just, God, why can't you just take this from me? Well, here's what he said, told me 10, 15, 20 years ago that was really interesting. He said, you know... I think I figured out why God did that. He said, because I had to work so hard to quit smoking. I struggled with that. I fought and struggled and struggled. And I really fully understood the grip that it had on me. There's not a chance. The rest of my life, I'm never picking up another cigarette again and smoking it. There's no doubt in my mind. It's done. With his foul language, however, he said at that time, he said, there's still times when I'm, I have this fear that I'm going to be in the pulpit preaching and Something's going to slip out or whatever, even though it never has, because it was just taken from me. He didn't have to work for it. And I think God allows us to struggle with things sometimes for us to fully understand the grip that they've had on us. 
and to build strength, to build character, to build confidence. So when the real storms come, you can say, yeah, I can do this because look what I did. That, that really struck home with me. It's like, hey, that makes sense. God wants us to be built up and strong and courageous and overcomers uh, and, and not be defeated, right? So anyway, that has to do with repentance. That's part of the process of being a Christian. Believe, confess with your mouth, repent. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. because Why does he want you to give up some things and repent of some things? Because they're hurting you. They're harming you. They're holding you back from who you could really be and what God really wants for you. It's not because he wants to take away your fun or he doesn't like you, right? Or he's this big God trying to, to command you. He loves you, and they're, they're holding you back. So let's take a look at 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12, and it kind of tells us that same thing. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. It is a fight, isn't it? It's something we have to, to fight and go for. And that's something that shows God, I really mean business here, and I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to turn from this and whatever it takes. So yeah, there's a fight that we have to, have to fight because there's an enemy that doesn't like you, right? He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he's not shy about it. So boy, we better be aware of that and fight the good fight. Let's take a look at Mark 8. We're going to read 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Well, what does this mean? Deny himself, take up his cross. That means deny the things that you want to do if you know that it's displeasing to God and say, I want to do things that please God. Does this mean that you've got to die in order to really save your life? This isn't talking about physical that. This is talking about those things that you're holding on to that he's talking to you about giving up and getting rid of. If you're holding on to that part of your life, you're going to lose it because these things are harming you and holding back. But if you let them go, if you give up your life to God, he'll give you a whole new life. And you'll be a new creation in him. So that's what it's talking about. Let's read Romans 6. We're going to read 1 through 7, and then we'll skip down to 11 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin." Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So again, is this talking about you physically die? Well, now you're finally free from sin? No, if you've died to the old self, then you're dead to sin. Let's skip down to 11 through 14 and get the rest of this. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. So there it is. If we've submitted to Christ, if we let those things go, we're dead to sin. It's over. The old man's gone. We've been raised up a new person, a new creation, to live a new life in Christ. So let's take a look at Acts 5. We'll read 19 and 20. But during, and this is cool, this is one of the instances in the Bible where the apostles were uh, arrested for preaching about Jesus and thrown in jail. And here's what happened. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Can you imagine that? You're in jail and an angel comes along and says, come on, let's go. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people this full message of this new life. A new life. There it is again. Over and over, he's saying, tell them about this new life. Tell them about this new life. What in the world is that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We're a new person. Part of this we see in Colossians 1, verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Wow, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? So because of what Christ did, even though we're imperfect human beings, we all have sinned, we've all fallen short of the God, he, he sees us as perfect, without blemish, and without accusation. Praise God. No accusation here, I'm free. That's cool. All right, so what, all, what does all this have to do with water baptism? Well, that's kind of what it represents, doesn't it? Being buried, and ra- the old man's gone, raised into new life. So let's take a look at this. We're going to dig into the scriptures, of course, some more, see what the Bible says. We're going to follow the pattern that is uh, put before us in the scriptures over and over with, with baptism. And uh, let's start with when Jesus himself was baptized, actually. Uh, We'll go into Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read 13 through 17. Uh, This is when John the Baptist was, uh, he was preaching about Jesus for a long time before Jesus came and and was baptizing people. So he knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the Son of God, the Messiah, and the whole bit. But Jesus comes to him and says, baptize me. So here's what he says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. This is cool. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Can you imagine being there and seeing that? That's incredible. The heavens open, and a big booming voice comes out and says, 
That's my boy. I'm happy with this guy. Why? Well, he was being obedient, doing what he was supposed to do. He said, yeah, I'm going to get baptized because this is what we, like he told John, it is proper for us to do this. It fulfills all righteousness. And he was baptized and God went, yeah, look at that. That's pretty awesome. So that's what he says for us when we're obedient as well and do these things. He's pretty proud of us and, and obedience pleases God. So that was pretty neat. Now, did Jesus need to have his sins forgiven? No, he was perfect. But yet he was baptized. So does baptism take your sins away? Doesn't sound like it here, does it? We'll dig into that more. But no, it doesn't look like it here. He did it because he told John it's proper to do this. This fulfills righteousness. This is what we should do. So he did it as an example to us of what we should do. We're going to take a look in Acts 22. This is about Saul, who became Paul. If you remember in Acts 9, Saul was, well, Saul was killing Christians and having them arrested and uh, all these crazy Christians that were talking about Jesus. He thought he was doing a good work for God because these guys were heretics and, and this was a bad thing. So he thought he was doing a good thing. But remember on the road to Damascus, God struck him down and a bright light came and he was blind and uh, for three days, God said, go into the city, and he went there and, and, and wait for this guy named Ananias. I'm going to send him to you to tell, me, tell him about me. And so Ananias comes and tells Saul all about the good news of Jesus Christ and all that. And then at the end of that, here's what he says. He says, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. That was the first thing. All right, now get up and be baptized. But then it says, and wash your sins away. Well, that's interesting. We just talked about Jesus didn't need his sins washed away. But what does this mean? Physically, does it clean you? Of course not. Does it somehow wash your sins away? No, it doesn't. And we'll see that in the next scripture. But it symbolizes what has already happened in you. That's what baptism is. It symbolizes that. Uh, We can look at 1 Peter 3. 21 and 22, and that's, that's what it'll tell. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. So what you've already done, you've pledged a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism doesn't save you. It does only in that it represents what Jesus Christ has done, Right? Saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's not baptism itself that does it, but it's representative of that. And then verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So it's because of what Jesus did that saved us. Baptism is representing that. It's saying, hey, this is what God did for me. Does that make sense? All right? I'm not confusing you, hopefully. Not too many people are yawning, so I think we're doing all right. Good deal. All right. So we do it out of obedience because God demonstrated that this is what should be done and he told us that. And it symbolizes that the old man is dead. We're a new creation in Christ. So we'll look at one more example here of of baptism before we move on. Uh, This is the story of Philip when God gave him a divine appointment one day, put him on the road where the, the Ethiopian eunuch was. He was an important official. And the Ethiopian eunuch had been in the synagogues listening to the scriptures of the Old Testament and didn't quite understand what he was reading. 
And Philip knew that because God told him that and said, hey, go find this guy. He's walking along and he heard uh, this eunuch on his way home in his chariot reading the scriptures. And he said, sir, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch said, well, no, I really don't. Can you help me? So Philip jumped up in the chariot with him and they began to study the scriptures. And that's where we pick it up here. We're going to read what happened there. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So here it is again, the same pattern. He hears the good news of Jesus and learns that part of that is being baptized and goes, Well, why not me? I believe. So he gets baptized. So there's this pattern over and over. Then we have to read this, the last two verses here just because this is just crazy incredible. I can't imagine this. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Whoa! But Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Can you imagine that? Philip baptizes him, they come out of the water, and Philip's gone. Oh, I'm kind of hoping that doesn't happen on the 17th at Pinehurst. (laughs) Where's Larry? (laughs) Although that'd be pretty neat, you know. So, but, and and Philip finds himself in Azotus and goes, well, I guess I'm here. Let's preach here. Isn't that amazing? And and the interesting thing is we've seen that when Jesus was baptized, when this guy's baptized, we see a few times when people are baptized, crazy, amazing miracles happen. Why is that? Well, not every time, of course. I've never honestly seen anything like that happen, but I've heard of people who, when they're baptized, are suddenly healed of physical needs or something like that. It's just crazy. And again, I think it's because they're being obedient to God, and it just tickles his heart, and he wants to bless you. It's just so cool when we step out and say, yeah, I want to do this because you said I should, Jesus. And uh, so it's just cool to see the things that happen. I can tell you what, it's almost certainly there will be something in your heart that just amazingly changes, that you just feel it's such a connection with God when you step out. Jesus loves obedience to him. Uh, and when you step out and do that. So there's the example there. So we've looked at all these examples of baptism and patterns throughout the Bible. Does this answer those three questions we asked at the beginning? Well, I hope so. I think so. I mean, we could go on reading examples, tons of them in the Bible all day long here of of baptism, and all kind of follows the same pattern. So let's take a look at that. One final thing uh, before we look at that, though, is someone's last words are usually pretty important, right? If somebody's leaving on a trip or moving away or something like that, the last words they say usually are pretty significant or we try to make them significant. They mean something. You pay attention. You always remember that, right? What was Jesus' last words to his disciples? Let's take a look at Matthew 28, 18, and 20. And, of course, this is known as the Great Commission. When Jesus left, here's the last. And he'd been teaching these guys this all along. But these things he wanted to set in stone. Here's, here's my last words to you. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So of the three things he told them in his last words to do that he wanted to emphasize, one of them was baptism. So it's kind of important to God, right? Seems to be. It's just part of this whole process. Believe, repent, be baptized. It's just part of the process. So that kind of, to me, answers the main reason, main question of why. Why should we get baptized? Well, because Jesus said so. It's just an act of obedience. So it's a pretty good reason, right? Let's, let's do that. If he said so, life will be much better if we just obey and do the things he asks us to do. Another good reason for baptism is to solidify in your heart and in your mind what God has done for you. You know what? The old man is dead, buried, gone. I'm a new creation in Christ, and I'm going to let him live that out in me. Solidifies it very much for you when you take that step. The third reason is it publicly states to everyone else that this is what has happened. This is representing what God has done in my life. And yes, I've made a commitment to him to live for him. So it's a public statement. It's obedience. It solidifies it in yourself. And it's a public statement saying, this is what God has done in me and for me. So there's the question of why. The second question, when? When is the best time to get baptized? Uh, You know, some sprinkly as an infant. Some do it at another age. Um, We usually do it as an adult or something like that. Well, Again, it's not our opinion that matters. And is this something cut and dry that if you do it wrong, you're under the wrath of God? I don't think so. But I think it's smart just to follow the pattern of the scriptures and do what that is, right? It just seems to make the most sense. And in every instance we see in the Bible, people believed, understood, repented, and then were baptized out of obedience in representation of what already had happened in them. Isn't that what we see over and over and over and over again? And that's why we uh, practice baptism after that has happened, after you can understand that and make that happen. Now, if you were baptized as a baby, great. Don't feel bad about that. Like I say, it's not that the wrath of God is on you if you did it differently. But here's what I would, I would really recommend, that if you were, get baptized again, now that you understand all of this and know that. If once is good, twice is better, Right? Why not? Get dunked, you know? Get baptized again. Because, again, it's just an expression of, man, God has changed me. This has happened in my life. I'm a new creation. The old person's gone. So do it again. Why not? So that's why we practice it that way. That's why we do it then. It just seems to be the pattern of the scriptures. And then the third question, how? What's the proper method of baptism? And like I say, some sprinkle, some do that. We're dunkers. We immerse it completely underneath the water and back up. Why? Well, again, that's the pattern we see over and over and over again. Just in the few examples we saw here, it says, when Jesus came up out of the water, hey, that means he was under the water, right? So he did. When Philip baptized the eunuch, when they came up out of the water, that means they were dunked under the water. So, okay, let's follow that pattern. Plus, that really is more representative of, I'm buried, dead, the old man's gone. And I'm resurrected with Christ into this new life. The new life God has for us is incredible. He wants us to be living a life of joy, of peace, of love, of thankfulness, of victory. He wants us to be more than conquerors. That's the new life that he has for us if we'll let go of the old and bury it and say, that's it, it's done, I'm living a new life for Christ. We stop, repent, turn around. Man, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's the life we're living. It's pretty awesome. 
So these are kind of the three questions that come up, and hopefully the answer is a little bit. Now, again, these are details people can get hung up on, right? Let's not do that. Let's not cause disagreement. We're just all trying to serve God and please God the best we can and follow the pattern the Scriptures give us, right? The important thing is, is your heart right with God? Are you living that new life? And so that's the question I want to ask everybody here, whether you've been baptized or not, whether you're thinking about it or not. Is that line up with your life? Is that what has happened to you? Is the old man buried? Are you following Christ? Are you living as a new creation? Have you seen those changes in your life and in your heart and in your attitudes? And are you experiencing the new life, the freedom that he wants us to be living in? Are you a new creation? That's the question we need to ask, right? Cool. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down now. They're going to be here to pray with you afterwards. And I'm going to read some scriptures from Psalms, if I can find them. There they are. Kind of pertaining to the new life that God wants for us. Like I said, he wants to be living a life of joy, of victory, of love, of peace, of patience. That's what he cultivates in us when we give up our lives to him. That's the new creation we need to be. So I, just got, I love David, how he wrote the Psalms, and David was so good at expressing his love for God and expressing who God was, uh, and both his, his triumphs and his disappointments and everything. He really was an emotional guy, I think. But I love how he, these are some verses that seem to kind of represent this new life that we should be living out as new creations in Christ. Uh, so I'm going to read these quickly. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Psalm 5.11 says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Psalm 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. And then Psalm 30.11 says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Oh man, that's what he wants for us. Is that the life you're living? Are you a new creation? Praise God, I hope you are. And uh, if you are, man, be obedient and be baptized. It's just a great, wonderful representation of what God has done in us. So thank you for coming. I'm going to pray in closing, uh, and then you'll be free to leave. But I do want to encourage you to spend some time in prayer and and come up here and get prayer by these uh, prayer warriors up here. If there's anything on your heart uh, that you want to be prayed for, these guys are good at praying specifically for needs in your life. And God answers prayer, amen? He does. Uh, or if you have questions or anything like that, just talk to these guys. They're, they're good at that. So let's pray in closing. Again, God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the new life that you have for us, for the, the changes that you make in us, for the dramatic way that you saved us and rescued us, God, when we're not, we're not worthy in ourselves, but you make us clean and spotless and holy and so that we can live in victory and joy. Lord, I pray that everyone here would live in that 
and really begin to understand that, Lord. And this week, as we go about our week, I pray that you would uh, keep our eyes open uh, to the things that you want to change in us, the ways that you want to set us free, Lord God. Just pray you'd be with us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.